0: So today, we're just, God had sparked in my heart this week from just one particular verse, but it kind of took me back to almost a year ago when I heard this like 10-minute sermon by Dan Moeller's father, I don't even know his name, but uh, it was just a really good sermon, but God just started giving me some depth into it, because like I said, it was a 10-minute sermon, but it was good and it's really about the good samaritan and what that is a picture of and what Jesus is actually referring to in that and there's some deep revelation in that in that parable and most people kind of take it as you know good samaritan be good to people don't be religious and mean but there's some really there's some depth in there and God started to reveal some stuff to my heart even like I said just piggybacking on this, this sermon that I heard almost a year ago and it really goes along with love and it goes along with what what we've been talking about because the Good Samaritan becomes this this picture of love I mean even when the lawyer comes to him and says you know what can I do to inherit eternal life and he says what do you see in the law and he says love the Lord your God and then he does the love your neighbor as yourself so, so the, the point of it's love. Jesus says, you know, you spoke well. That's true. You know, and this guy went off on a tangent trying to justify himself, but it's true that love is the fulfillment of the law. He says, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus pretty much says, love. Love. That's, that's your answer. That's how you inherit eternal life. Love. And so when we see this, I want us to keep in mind just these, these certain truths about it. And so we're just going to go ahead and get right into the parable. And so in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 is where it starts. It says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered rightly, do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. "...who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked, and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion." So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves and he said the one who showed mercy on him then Jesus said to him go and do likewise and so this is a very well-known parable of Jesus i mean there's about 50 million missions organizations that have samaritan in their name because this is what it's talking about it's talking about being love it's talking about what you're supposed to do but in this this sermon that i heard and what god sparked in my heart was comparing these four different people, the man who fell among thieves, the priest, the Levite, then the Good Samaritan. And so it is, the comparison is the man who fell among thieves is Adam. He was stripped of his clothing, stripped of his righteousness, that he was left half dead, that that Adam really represents all of mankind in our fallen state. And so the man who fell among thieves is Adam, the priest was Abraham, someone who was called by God and served God and walked out this journey of faith. The Levite was Moses, because we know that the Levitical priesthood came through Moses and the law. And the Good Samaritan is Jesus. And so it was a really powerful message, like I already said. And, it, and God started to spark different truths in my heart. And so it came from this one verse, John eight forty eight through 49 it says, Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. So I read this and it just just jumped out, on, you know, jumped out to me. That they say you're a Samaritan, which if you don't know what a Samaritan is, a Samaritan is a half-blooded Jew. The Samaritans were the Jews that were left behind when the Babylonians took all the Jews into captivity and they, they intermarried with the people of the land. And so when the pure blood Jews came back from, the Bab, from Babylon, the Samaritans were there and they hated each other. They wouldn't let the Samaritans help, which made the Samaritans mad and they started trying to try and frustrate the rebuilding of the temple. And so a Samaritan is a half-blooded Jew. They hated Samaritans so much in Jesus' time that when you were traveling from one place to another inside of Israel, you would go all the way around the border of Samaria. You would take like two extra days' journey just to not set foot inside Samaritan territory. That's how much they hated the Samaritans. Jesus, the woman at the well, was a Samaritan. And so... When I saw this, it really jumped out to me. They call him a Samaritan and tell him he has a demon. He doesn't say, I'm not a Samaritan. He says, I don't have a demon. Now, I'm not saying Jesus is a Samaritan, but in, in spiritual, spiritually speaking, Jesus was a Samaritan. He wasn't a full-blooded Jew. He was half God. He was half Jewish. You know, he was the Holy Spirit, you know, came upon Mary and she conceived in her womb. So Jesus wasn't a full-blooded Jew in the natural sense of it. He was a Samaritan. He was half God, half man. And so Jesus answers him, and it just, it just blew my mind away. He never, he never touches that. He never says, no, I'm not a Samaritan. He just leaves that blank and says, no, I don't have a demon. And so this, when I saw that, it just, like I said, jumped me right back to that sermon. And so we see that... This Samaritan truth of Jesus that he is a half Jew because he's half God. We see that in the parable where he's talking about the good Samaritan. Like I said, the Samaritan being Jesus. And so we're going to go and, and, and look at these with some more in-depth than what I got from that sermon. Because God gave me a lot of in-depth characteristics of these people. So the man who fell among thieves, we're going to take these kind of out of order and things like that, but the man who fell among thieves is Adam. So if you look at verse 30 again, it says, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now this is a picture of Adam, because the enemy is a thief. He's a robber. He's a liar. He's a thief. And what he did to Adam was deceive him and strip him of his righteousness. And so Adam, although we think of Adam in the garden as being naked, he was clothed with the glory of God. He didn't need natural clothing. He was clothed with the glory of God. But when he fell into temptation, that glory was stripped away from him. And so as the thief did this to him, it says it wounded him, and they departed, leaving him half dead. Adam was wounded in his heart. Every one of us after him was wounded in our hearts. We were separated from God. And I think it's funny that it says they left him half dead. You want to know what Adam was after the fall? Half dead. His body was going to die. His soul, his spirit was eternal. He was half dead after the fall. And so if we see this picture of this man, we're going to see some truth about what could really help that half dead man, that, that fallen man, that picture of Adam, which we are all the picture of. Now the priest as Abraham, in verse 31 It says, now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, I want you to understand the first thing about this is by chance. There was no purpose in coming to this man that had fallen among thieves and was laying there half dead. It was by chance, and it says that he saw him. Now, in the next verse, when it says about the Levite, it says he came and looked but this one he just saw. So the picture in, in, in the Greek is the priest just saw him. The Levite came and looked and, and purposely looked at what was going on and then decided to go away. And so if we see this as Abraham, we see that Abraham wasn't there to redeem mankind. Abraham wasn't there to help Fallen man. Abraham was a priest in the sense that he served God. He was called by God. He talked with God. He sacrificed with God. You know, he sacrificed to God. He was very priest-like in his service to God. It, Abraham's walk was all about his walk of faith with God. He wasn't trying to save the world. He wasn't trying to help anybody else. I'm not saying he's a bad guy. I'm just saying what he was called to do was to believe God and father the Jewish nation. And so he wasn't called to save the world. He wasn't called to help mankind. He didn't travel around the promised land helping everybody he could help. He just traveled around getting blessed by God and trying to follow the voice of God. And so it's by chance that he comes upon this man. And I think that as Abraham saw that God would bless The whole world through his seed and he understood the gospel story and the Messiah that would come but it wasn't his purpose to do anything about it he couldn't do anything about it for one he wasn't Jesus but it wasn't his purpose so it was just by chance that he knew that you know he saw that that man was fallen and so like I said The Levite is the next one. So in verse 32, I want you to see it says, Likewise, a Levite. That likewise is referring to the by chance. It's talking about the same way they got upon the man that had fallen among thieves. So you could just put by chance in there. By chance, a Levite, when he arrived at that place, came and looked. And so this denotes purpose. This denotes a purpose a purposeful walking over and taking a look at this guy. And if you know anything about the law and the law of Moses, the Levitical law, the Levitical priesthood came through Moses. So to call the one a priest and the other a Levite is kind of separating service to God and service to the law. And so what did the law do? It exposed our sin. It took a big giant flashlight and shined it on man's heart, and sin. And what did this guy do? He came and he looked. So Moses and the Levitical priesthood that would follow Moses, they could now look at what was wrong with the man who had fallen among thieves and was stripped of his righteousness and lay there half dead. But they couldn't do anything about it. And that's the wall right there. That's religiousness right there. It can look, it can point out, it can see, it understands. It has a greater understanding of what's wrong with you, but it has no ability to help you. And so if we see this Levite as Moses, we understand that Moses was faithful in all of his household to do what God called him to do. God didn't call him to save the world. God didn't call him to do anything about that fall of man that happened with Adam. God called him to expose sin. It says in Hebrews that the law came so that sin would be exceedingly sinful. It literally came to give you a picture of what what you needed, which was a Savior. And so we see the Levite as Moses, and we see that he, he was very purposeful in coming and looking. He now had revelation to see what was wrong, but he couldn't do anything about it. And so in 33 it says but a certain Samaritan as he journeyed came where he was so I want you to understand this part just like blew me away these other two guys by chance saw it this guy was on a journey and he came where that guy was this is Jesus it wasn't by chance he didn't happen by this person but there was such purpose in why he came. He was on a journey and he came right where that person was. And what did Jesus do? He was on a journey and he came right where we were, which was lying in a ditch half dead because of our sin, because we chose to fall among the thief and believe his lies. And so we see that Jesus, the Samaritan, he came with a purpose, that he came To be where, you know, he was purposeful in where he was. It says, and when he saw him, he had compassion. The other two didn't have compassion. Abraham wasn't about compassion. Abraham was about following God. The Levite wasn't about compassion. He was about seeing what was wrong. But Jesus, the one that was purposeful in his coming to that man, he had compassion. 34. It says, So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal and brought him to an end and took care of him. And so, what I want you to see through these verses is that Jesus came with the answer to what this guy needed, to what fallen man needed. He was able to bind the wounds. He was able to fix the problem. And beyond that, he poured on oil and wine. And those are always pictures in the Bible of the anointing and the blood. Jesus knew what we needed. We needed the anointing. We needed the Holy Spirit. And we needed the blood. And so Jesus pours on the anointing. He pours on the Spirit. He pours on the blood. And it says he set him on his own animal. So this shows that Jesus now is providing the vehicle by which you're going to get to where you need help. Like, he's taking care of everything. He's not, you know, he didn't bind your wounds and then say, hey, stand up and go, you know, walk to the inn where you can get the rest of the help you need. No, he takes him, he lifts him up and puts him on something that's going to get him to where he needs to go. And this is just like a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit and God's grace in our life that lifts us up and doesn't just, God doesn't lift you up to your feet. Like people say, you know, every time you fall down, God will lift you up. Yeah, every time you fall down, God will lift you up and then he will empower you to get where you need to go. It's not like he's, you know, it's not like a little kid that you're just lifting up and then they fall down and you lift them up and they fall down, you lift them up and they fall down. No, eventually you hold their hand and you walk them where they need to go. And this is what God's done. He's not left us. He doesn't wash you off once and say, you better learn how to do it on your own now. And you go fall in another ditch. No, he gets you where you need to go. His grace is there to transport us from point A to point B. And so it takes him to the inn. 35. It says, On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. And I think this is a picture of the Holy Spirit that God leaves with us to take care of us. And this is also a prophetic picture of, he didn't say, if I come again, he said, when I come again. You know, Jesus is coming again. He will settle all accounts when he comes again. There's going to be nothing unsettled when Jesus splits the eastern sky and comes back. And this is a picture of Jesus coming back. And so as we see this, we understand that, that, that Jesus came with purpose. That Jesus came and had the answer to what the man who had fallen among thieves needed. What we as fallen man needed. And He provides for us going forward. It's not like a one-time thing. It's not a, you know, like, I, I pick you up, I clean you off, now don't get dirty anymore. It's He provides for us going forward too. And so, how this relates to love. Like I said, what did the guy say? How can I obtain eternal life? And he talks about love God, love people. And Jesus says that's right. And so this whole sermon this whole parable that Jesus says here is about love. But I want you to understand the, the lawyer, when he said, and who is my neighbor? Like I, I, It's like a really funny thing that a lot of people can get that loving God thing right. It's not like, you know, it's not like, I love God and Allah I'm not you know serving Buddha and Jesus so we get that God's God Jesus is Jesus but he says he doesn't ever question that but he says who's my neighbor and why is he saying that because he's trying to pinpoint who he is allowed to love and who he's allowed to hate he's saying who is my neighbor because he knows I don't love everybody equally. Hey, Jesus, who am I allowed to hate? That's literally what he's asking this, is what he's asking Jesus, is who am I allowed not to love? Because he knew he didn't have love for everybody. And so Jesus' story here, saying the Samaritan did good, was just like a slap in his face because I guarantee you that guy hated Samaritans because every good Jewish person did hate Samaritans. And so you see this picture of Jesus saying who you're supposed to love is everybody. It's everybody. Who's your neighbor? Everybody's your neighbor. There's no distinction between who you're supposed to love and who you're supposed to not love. You're supposed to love everyone. And so we see this and we see that, and like we said, the man who fell among thieves as us, as as fallen man. And I want you to understand that when you think about it, when you think about like the graphic nature of, this, uh, of the portrait that Jesus is putting here, the man laying in the side of the ditch, stripped naked, beat half to death, guess what? It's not a pretty sight. It's an ugly thing. And mankind, fallen mankind, that's been stripped of the righteousness, stripped of the glory of God, and wounded in the heart so that their hearts can't even be right, and, you know, stripped naked, wounded in the heart, and left half dead, is an ugly thing. Is a very ugly thing. I mean, you can sit here and think right now about people that are unsaved, that do diabolical, awful things, that we would think it's really hard to love that person. Why? Because that person's stinking ugly. I mean, there are people out there that even if we're not you know, trying to be judgmental or whatever, there's people that are uglier than other people when it comes to their sin. Like children and things like that and murderers and stuff like that. It's ugly. It's real stinking ugly. And I want you to see that that priest who was on his journey with God, he just passed on by. Now the Levite, he looked and he understood, really, really understood how ugly it was. But he passed on by. But Jesus came, saw the ugliness, and poured love upon it. And that's what we're called to do. That's what love does. Love doesn't love lovable things. Love loves unlovable things. Because Jesus loved me. And I was an unlovable thing. Jesus loved you. And as good as you think you are, you were an unlovable thing. And so when we see this picture of Jesus and we see this picture of the man lying there, it's very graphic in its ugliness, but that's what God wants us to pour love upon. Love your neighbor as yourself. Who's your neighbor? The person that's stinking ugly in their sin. Because you need to understand spiritually, we, we, we think carnally. We think everyone's, you know, if you choose to do this, wow, you're a wicked, awful person. But in all actuality, their righteousness was stolen from them. They were wounded by the devil in their heart. And they're half dead. We can't expect people that are half dead to act all alive. We should expect them to be ugly and still be able to love them. And so when we see that, the priest, what I want to like draw a comparison is, is that the priest and the Levite who saw the state of the man, a priest serves God, is only concerned about walking out his journey with God. A Levite serves the law and is only concerned about what does line up and doesn't line up with the law. And so these two people are types of Christians. These two people are types of Christians. Churches are full of priests and Levites. They are full of people that are selfishly just all about their journey with God. They're not religious. They're not mean. They just you know, serve their church. They come to church. They pay their tithe. They're good. They pray. They read their Bible. But in all actuality, they're all about them and God. And then you have your Levites, which are the ones that no one wants to hang out with because they're the ones that point out all your faults and they have all the opinions and they usually know some in-depth knowledge that you don't know and they're going to point out everything that's wrong with the world and the church and everything else and yet they have no answer to what's actually you know wrong and they can't help fallen man but they can surely point out what's wrong with fallen man. And so you have this Levite mentality in church and churches are full of those two kinds of people like I would rather have the priest than the Levite but at the same time we're all supposed to be Samaritans we're not supposed to be priests or Levites we're supposed to be Samaritans we're supposed to be half God half man lovers of what God loves and so we see that that priest what the priest does and we see what the Levite does and like I said sadly churches are full of priests and Levites but the Samaritan so if the priest serves God and the Levite serves the law the Samaritan serves others and this is what we're called to Uh, the Samaritan had the revelation that true service to God is in serving God's creation and loving what God loves and A lot of Christians don't get that. God is half as concerned about how faithful you are in tithe and church attendance as He is concerned about how much love is coming out of you. Like, Don't leave the other two undone, but let love come out of you. Serve others. That's what we are called to. That's what every Christian is called to do serve others so so as we see that as we see that we are supposed to be the good Samaritan that you know there's no one in here that's a full-blooded Jew anyway so honestly you have the Holy Spirit inside of you so you're a Samaritan you're half Gentile half God it says we're grafted into the Jewish nation Okay, and so we see that, that we are supposed to serve others. Well, What does serving others entail? Like I said, others are ugly. They're ugly. They're not going to get any prettier until you act in love. You're not going to make the world or people prettier than their ugly fallen state by just being about you and God, and that's all that matters in your life. And you're, not, you're definitely not going to do it by being able to see what's wrong with them and how ugly they are and pointing that out and being like, hey, you know, you're like, your face is all beat up, bro. Don't you see that? That's not going to help anybody. But like the Samaritan, we have to see the ugliness because the Samaritan saw it, but he didn't pass by on the other side. He got down in the ditch with the guy and he lifted him up and he blinded his wounds and he provided for his fixing and that's what god that's what god wants to use us to do god wants to use us to be little christ it says that if the enemy would have known what he was doing he would have never crucified the son of glory the reason is is because he multiplied his problems jesus said a seed of corn or a seed unless it falls on the ground and dies remains alone, but if it falls on the ground and dies, it bears much fruit. Like I said, you don't put a grain of corn in the field out there to get a grain of corn back. You get ears of corn with hundreds and hundreds of grains of corn, kernels of corn. And so the enemy wouldn't have done it if he would have known he was going to multiply his problem. But the problem is that a lot of Christians don't know that when Jesus died, was buried, and resurrected, that you are the multiplication Of the enemy's problem that you are supposed to be the Christ like lovers of lost humanity just like Jesus was you are called to be a Jesus a Christ but not the Christ not the Jesus I mean they quotes in the haven't you I think it's uh, Paul that says have you not heard it said that ye are God's like God, even in the Old Testament, called the Jewish people gods, little g-gods, but called out from amongst the rest of the world. You are small c Christ. You, are, you have the Holy Spirit, same Holy Spirit Jesus had, living inside of you. You have the same born-again, pure heart that Jesus had. And it is our job, it is our duty, and it is our great pleasure... To let that come out of us. That's the fulfillment of us as people. And so when we see that, we see that God has called us to that. I just want you to be very aware that when you are out there, not when you're in church, when you're out there amongst all the dead, ugly, naked people, that you are very conscious of being a good Samaritan. That you're very conscious of not being A priest and a Levite that you're not just all about you know like hey I'm just when I'm at work and I'm around people you know Sundays for religion and the rest of the weeks for work and I don't mix the two that's a lot of people's opinion that's very priest-like of you that it's just about you know you come to church on Sunday you're happy with your relationship with God and you could care less that there's a dead guy laying in the ditch right there and you definitely don't want to be the Levite that what they know of church is that, hey, you're judgmental and critical and you think you have all the answers. Now that turns people off way more than the priest does, but what turns people on to God, what turns people to God is when we pour out the love, when we actually legitimately care even though people are ugly. They're different than us. We're supposed to be, you know, we're born again. We have a totally different perspective on life than them, but we shouldn't be disgusted by their different perspective on life. We should be there to love and be willing to help. So you can stand. I know that was a lot of, it was kind of in depth and a lot of stuff, but I want you to just keep that in your mind. Priest serves God, Levite serves the law, the Samaritan serves others. I mean, that's like the, the, the three points of the sermon. Alyssa always tries to tell me to have three points to the sermon and to make them very concise. So that's it. A priest serves God, a Levite serves the law, and a Samaritan serves others. We are called to be Samaritans. And God, the same way God fixed you up, he wants to use you to be the vehicle to which others are fixed up. Like they need Jesus, but they need Jesus through us. Jesus said when he was talking to his disciples and they were all just distraught that he's going away, he said, it is better for you that I go away because when I go away, I will send you the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. It's better for you. It's better for the world. Instead of one Jesus In Jerusalem, doing his work. Now there's many, many, many sons and daughters of God all over the world that can do the same work. Not in scale, he was Jesus, but in practice. He said, greater works you shall do. Because I go to the Father. Greater works you shall do. Now, that might mean greater in miracles. Because Jesus, you know, there's people that... God uses to do great miracles, but I think it means greater in quantity. Because now it's little Christ all over the world instead of one Christ in one certain geographic area. And it's what we're called to do. It's what we're called to be. And it's the fulfillment of us. If you think of that that man who fell among thieves as Adam, in the the restoration that the Samaritan gave him, in the restoration that, that Jesus gives to us, It brings us back to our place where we're no longer stripped naked laying in the ditch half dead we're alive we're clothed in righteousness and we're back to where we were supposed to be we're back to what we were supposed to be and that's what Jesus does in your life he brings you back to what you were supposed to be before the fall that before Adam ever sinned you're supposed to have that relationship with God Because that's what he brought us back to. So let's just bow our heads and pray. I just thank you, Lord God, for your word. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for a deeper understanding of what you've called us to. That we're not called to be a priest in the sense of that we only worry about us and God and serving God in some abstract sense of religious observance. You know, you're not serving God just because you come to church. You're not serving God just because you pay tithe. You're, you're serving God because you're wholeheartedly doing the will of God, which is to love the world. And we don't, and we're not Levites. We're not called to criticize and see and point out what's wrong with everything. Everybody knows what's wrong with everything. Everybody knows what's wrong with everything. We're supposed to have the answer to what makes that right again so we are called to be the samaritan to journey this life with purpose of restoring fallen man of you using us as as an instrument by which you do your restoration projects that you help those that have been deceived and fallen in with that thief And so I thank you, Lord God, for just burning that in our hearts. Burning that in our hearts. That we are called to serve others. That the greatest service of God is serving others. That that's what we're called to do. That we are called to serve and serve and serve. And it's not like some hard religious, you better be on your hands and knees mopping the floor. It is you better be loving the way God wants you to love. Because love is joy. Love is peace. Love is the fulfillment of us. We find our greatest pleasure in the ones that we love. So let's increase that circle of the ones that we love to everyone. And what joy will we have? I just thank you, Lord God, for putting that in my heart. And putting that in our hearts. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you have any prayer needs, if if you want to be that love, you know, like Barry said, God's presence with us all the time. We don't have to ask and beg, God, put your love in my heart. Just start going with it because it's already in there. He's put the Holy Spirit in you you know, that love's there. We don't have to beg God. We we want God to move on our emotions so that we all of a sudden feel warm, fuzzy feelings towards everyone. It's not going to happen. We have to move by the Spirit, which circumvents the emotions. If you start moving by the Spirit, your emotions will catch up with it eventually. You just move by the Spirit, obedience to love, obedience to the call of Christ, obedience to serve others like God has called us to serve, and eventually your emotions will get there. You'll be like, hey, I really do like this a lot, but it's all about obedience first and worry about the emotions later. When we get caught up in emotions, God, you know, let me love this world the way you love this world, you're going to be waiting a real long time because he's saying be obedient, be obedient. To serve and to love. And your emotions will catch up with it. I promise. It's just the way it works. Your emotions catch up with it. Like, start being really, really nice to everyone around you, even when you don't want to. And eventually you get to the point where it's just natural that you love being nice to everyone around you. No matter what the circumstances are. It's obedience and then emotions catch up. So if you need prayer for anything, like I said, you can come up here and we'll pray with you. But if not, you're dismissed to go out and be good Samaritans. Go be good half God, half men. That's what we are. We have the Holy Spirit in us. Church is dismissed.